witches, this is episode 7 of the Marvelously Mohawked Witch podcast, and I am your host, Stephanie. Tonight's episode will center around honoring the dark goddesses and our nocturnal nature prior to this espet. I promised, and you have been patiently waiting, and now is the time I choose to discuss Brigid, the Morrigan, and Hecate tonight. But first, a bit of housekeeping. Don't forget to tell your friends what you're listening to on Spotify and now Stitcher. Yep, I'm on Stitcher now. And follow me on Instagram at Marvelously Mohawked Witch. Email me at dreamwalkingwitch at gmail.com. Check out my merch and special content on my patreon.com slash marvelously mohawked witch. And I do want to just say thank you to the people who are following and liking my Instagram feed. Uh, that would be Green Fay Creations, Warrior Heather, Killer Cocktails, Sassy Sister Damsel IDP, 71977, and R.D. Burka, and Olifia Olif- Payne. And it's, uh, it does mean a lot to me that I'm on your radar. So thank you very much. So, let's dive right in. The July full moon is called the buck, or thunder full moon, as it refers to the time of growth of a buck's antlers and an increase in thunderstorms throughout the month and in various regions. We will also be experiencing another penumbral eclipse, although only mildly. And uh, what's an espat? You, you ask, why are these goddesses called dark? Well, I'll tell you. First things first, an espat is the time between our sabbats. They usually fall on full or dark moon phases where ritual and spell work is generally tending to be performed. And why do most witches tend to perform our workings during the night, whether solitary or not? Well, there is power within the moonlight, and historically we were unable to be out of the broom closet with our workings, as there was a very real threat of death if we showed ourselves during the less enlightened times. Thus, our ancestors began to embrace the night and tended to do the bulk of ritual and spell work in the middle of secluded, sacred spaces away from prying eyes and in the darkness. However, Each witch has a comfort zone, and whenever and wherever you practice is what works for you and your workings. There is some controversy, however, that dark equals bad, but this simply is not the case. There are degrees of workings we all do in our craft, and as such, no one witch can be said to be good or bad, light or dark. We all fall into a spectrum where we tend towards the harm none. However, I also take no shit. So, hence, I consider myself neutral in most cases, but if the need arises, I will send out what I have to in order to resolve any issues. But again, remember, dark does not equal bad. It simply is the absence of light. And working with the dark simply means working with a different power, 
different deities, circles that you cast, spells, or ritual work. And this can also include divination, transformation, uh, which can sometimes be in the form of death, because, you know, death is of transformation, and moon magics. A lot of times we do tend to use darker colors as well. Um, our metal of choice is usually silver to represent the nocturnal craft. So we're looking at deep reds, black, indigos, dark blues, greens for colors of clothing or <clears throat> cloths that we may use. So some of those things just kind of tend towards the night. So when I previously discussed charging or cleansing our altar or spell work tools, I spoke about using the light and power of the full moon. However, there is a real power in the dark moon as well, um, which is when there is no moonlight to shine down. On your calendars, it usually is a black dot. Um, and this time can be good for banishing or discarding spell work, um, meditation, divination, or even future weaving work. And I'll discuss that a little bit more as, as <clears throat> my episodes go. So, there are many gods and goddesses associated with the dark, the night, the underworld, death, ferocity, and war and warriors. But I chose to begin with Brigid. She is an Irish goddess who was Bible-washed into St. Bridge. Um, however... Uh, in most of her lore, she bears some similarities with the Morrigan, in that she is often perceived as being three separate goddess sisters, but who are all named Brigid. She is said to also be of the Tuathidnan, or part of the Fey realm, as is the Morrigan. Brigid is goddess of healers, poets, smiths, childbirth, inspiration, fire and hearth as well as patron of warfare and her soldiers are actually known as brigands her story does collide a bit with the morrigan with their separate involvement with the formorians where bridget is said to have been wed to a half formorian fey king and the morrigan is said to have been on both sides of the war with the formorians but there's also one aspect of the Morrigan that said that one of her was married to one of the kings and it so see where I'm I'm saying that they can get kind of confusing and that she can share some similarities with uh with the Morrigan so Brigitte is still seen as a flame bearer she is a fierce warrior and she is said to have keened or wailed on the battlefield at the death of her son so she is the embodiment of the Divine Feminine. She is everything that you would think of a knight and dark goddess. Goddess. So, progressing from her into the history of the Morrigan seemed natural as the two shared so many things. I almost say they could be one and the same. However, there are some splits. So... The Morrigan is also considered to be three goddesses wrapped into one. Um, those three are named Bab, 
Maka and Moragu. I actually had to look up how to say those names, and they're said just like they're spelled. <laughs> so it's a little bit different because sometimes when you're looking at um, Gaelic and Irish um, words from from our lore, it's it's hard. You can't really pronounce it the way it's spelled phonetically. So you have to look it up and, and learn how to say it sometimes. So I did just to make sure. Um, and all three of these can each represent death omens, prophecy, and war, among other things. Those are the three things that they are most, she is, and they are most associated with. Bad is often referred to as the crow or war goddess, so-called the battle crow, and she is described as both goddess and witch, with a red mouth often inciting confusion in armies and reveling in the slain. Maka is often seen as the triple goddess in her own. She is a prophet, warrior, and matriarch, often with red hair. She is vengeful when wronged, often seen riding a horse, and as a deathbringer. And the Moragu, considered queen among the gods living in the Shi, the fey realm of the Tuatha de Danann, <clears throat> known for inciting battle, strife, and deeds of valor. With wisdom, generosity, and prophetic dreams given regularly, though. She is said to have conversed often with kings prior to battles and was said to be either a beautiful woman, which is what I see in most of the books that I've read about her. Um, I would say 99% of the books that I've seen with the Morrigan on the cover or depictions of her in artwork, she is depicted as a red-haired, beautiful young woman surrounded by crows with blood um, sometimes on her face or around her in black, wrapped in black. Um, and so she's either that or she can be perceived as an ugly hag or a scald crow, which is a hooded crow or with hair falling out or with pustules upon her head. So there's a couple different variations there. She's usually got black, red, or gray hair. So you can see the the symbolism there, you know, the mother maiden crone symbolism. You know, she's either a beautiful woman, um, an ugly old hag, which, you know, the crone is not meant to be ugly. And so that's, there's some debate over the, the term ugly, you know, um, as far as witches are concerned. Uh, the Morrigan is associated with many wars with one or both sides doing her confusing bidding and then in that confusion her relishing in the turmoil and calamity of those who did not heed her prophecies I got confused I mean I had a couple of books that I was doing my research on trying to figure out you know a couple of the stories that went along with her and that's where I kind of noticed some of her and Bridget kind of collided a little bit as well as, you know, I'd be reading about one battle, uh, how she had prophesied to a king or a, a commander for one battle, and then it turns out she was the inciter of the whole battle in the first place for both sides. And she prophesied death for both sides, and it was very confusing. But, I mean, it's it's worth it to, to read about it. So, that being said... <clears throat> excuse me, her lineage 
to the Tuatha Dé Nan as part of the Fey realm in the form of a shapeshifter is one of her most common knowings. Um, most notably, the crow or raven. She's also been known as a banshee, which is a banshee. As uh, are said to be an embodiment of her. So due to lore surrounding the Fey realm, there is a dark mystery about the Fey. And as such, it can be misunderstood why she is associated with them. Or it can be understood, excuse me, why she is associated with them. Neither helpful or hurtful to humans, unless called upon or a rule is broken. The Fey often do not worry about the affairs of humans, much like the Morrigan. And while one can invoke Hakati, one does not absolutely does not invoke the Morrigan, nor the Fey realm. Both are, be, are to be revered, not to say that other deities aren't, all deities are. But when asking for aid or opening to their realm, be careful to, for lack of a better term, not piss off the fairies, as well as not piss off the Morrigan. So you can see where her lineage could totally be that of the Fae. While some gods and goddesses may be more approachable or amenable to lend aid or be requested to help than others, the Morrigan, as with the Fae, do not and are not. Also, as with the Fae, the Morrigan, too, likes offerings of milk or honey. But she also likes whiskey. <laughs> And both want a special sacred space near or around water or crossroads. Be careful if you're at a crossroads at night doing nocturnal witchcraft, though, because we don't want you to get hurt. You know, if you're at a crossroads, that's it's a road that's across. You know, be careful. This is not only for offerings, but for devotion to her. Within Morrigan workings is her ability to shapeshift, as I stated earlier. And while her animal of choice is the crow or the raven or other black birds, she is also associated with cattle, as in the history of Ireland and the Irish, my ancestors, uh, cattle was the reason for most battles, as cattle was the form of currency back then. She is also said to be seen as an eel, a horse, or a wolf. So when working with and calling upon the Morgan, you are really pulling on your inner strength and your inner power, as she personifies our sovereignty over ourselves. She holds her own power, and so shall we. So I remember when I first heard a mainstream, well, to me, mainstream, movie use the term invoke. I was just a baby witch. Just 16 years old. <laughs> I had just started learning about and getting out of my growing up in a Catholic and Presbyterian household, which those two don't really match. <laughs> but the movie The Craft came out, and I had started 
couple years before that, learning about and knowing and understanding what what it was that I wanted and how I wanted to believe. And so I saw that movie and I thought, wow, wow, that's amazing. Little did my baby witch brain know that the Hollywood bastardization of my beliefs was a process of making it into something the masses would want as well as making it some spectacular movie. So I quickly learned that that's the way us witches are portrayed in the media, sadly. This is not to say that invoking Hecate is something all witches should do or try, but perhaps as a result of that movie, more people were open to the idea that there are other cultures out there that believe different, worship different, and even though it may frighten you or them, that doesn't mean it's bad. What do I always say, though? Do your research. I wonder how much research the people did when they started making these shows and these movies, you know? And maybe delve into the origins of our great dark witch queen before moving to the step of invoking. So. There is so much written about Hecate that she is our original dark mother goddess, and as such, has volumes written about her. I've found a few, and I've actually been reading for a bit now to a point where I still think even more research is warranted. So this is just, you know, the tip of the iceberg. One book of the few that I have now that I've found very helpful is by Cindy Brannan called Keeping Her Keys, An Introduction to Hakata. I can't talk. An introduction to Hecate's modern witchcraft. Hecate is not only a goddess to be amazed by, but is the queen of the underworld. She is the darkness within and without. She is said to be both approachable and intimidating at the same time. She's a Greek goddess of witchcraft, magic, the moon, doorways or liminal spaces, the in-between, and creatures of the night. And this puts her in perfect harmony as a deity for a nocturnal practice or to become attuned with prior to dark ritual or spell work. She is associated with keys, torches, flame, snakes, black dogs, horses, pigs, goats, lions, dragons. Black obsidian, red jasper, quartz, bay laurel, mugwort, and the colors black, red, and white. She and the Morrigan share some similarities here. There are statues and art devoted to her as well as many ancient writings and epithets. There are so many that you can, you can find one for anything that you need. When making a devotion or offering to Hakati, keep in mind appropriate types. But as Brandon states, they are reflections of your devotion, so they should mean a lot to you. Food and drink are typical, so long as it doesn't cause ill effect to the surrounding wildlife. Or if you are not planning on leaving it there, 
it is okay to pour it down the drain if you need to. So typically, once we get closer to Samhain and Yule is when we start to awaken more workings within Hakati. However, as with most, her power can be called upon when it feels right for you. Just remember what I always say, do your research. A symbol often seen in conjunction with Hakati is a circuitous snake-like labyrinth with a star in the middle called a strafalus. Strafalos, excuse me. And I gotta say, I looked it up and it is beautiful and mesmerizing all at the same time. I'll put a picture up on my Instagram of what it looks like so you guys can see it if you haven't seen it before. But I can totally see meditating on that image much like you would with flame meditation. This image represents all of Hakati from the outer circle all the way to the inner star. And Brandon writes, I like to think of this great circle as Hekati as the world soul, representing her as creatrix and the mediator between us and the universe. Immediately inside this circle is the labyrinthian design of the serpent that is the life force of all things. It also can signify birth and rebirth. After the snake, there is another circle. This circle represents our sovereignty. We are connected to the life force and to Hakati, but also our individuals. Encapsulated within this circle is a six-pointed figure with another circle at its center. To me, that's Brannon, this represents the divine within us. This six-pointed figure can be interpreted in at least three different ways. A star, a sun, or even a flower. The flower interpretation comes from the Chaldean Oracle's reference to Hakati as the fiery rose or flower of creation. The star is also symbolic of Hakati of the underworld, with the starlight representing her torches and the night sky as dark energy. The sun is the opposite energy current with Hakati in her upper world aspects. Yes, she does have not just dark world, she also has upper world. Thus, the six-pointed figure is also a tripartite representation of Hikati. The strophalos contains three circles. The snake is in three coils. Given that this yields three groups of three, it's no wonder the strophalus is viewed as such a powerful symbol of witchcraft. The strophalus today is seen as an image of devotion to Hakati and a symbol of witchcraft. That's one powerful statement to make with that symbol. And Brannon wrote beautifully about it. When I look at all the things I've been drawn to, all of my witchy life. I've noticed that the things that stand out the most are my workings with symbols such as obsidian, dragons, owls, using dream work, astral realm. And considering how much of that is drawn from Hakati and uses her energies, I have to wonder 
has she been reaching out to me my whole witchy life and I've only just begun to realize it? I mean, right now, I've got on my silver ring with a black stone in it. I don't know if it's obsidian. It doesn't break, so hopefully it's not. And I'm drawn more to silver. And the moonstones that I use. It's very interesting. As with the Morrigan, Hikati is also infused with divination. They both have had tarot decks made specifically for them. And the ones I've seen are amazing to look at. They're just beautifully drawn. Just these amazing depictions. As Hikati is seen within liminal spaces, that's the in-between spaces, and lucid dreaming, and the spaces between planes, one can only hope to be allowed to access her powers, to, div to divine during a lucid dream or an astral walk during dream workings. Think of how powerful that would be to pull, to be able to, to pull from that and request that kind of aid in that kind of work. Wouldn't that be amazing? Hikati is one of the few goddesses that can connect our dark with our light in a way only she could do as guardian of the underworld, gatekeeper, and keeper of the keys. The Morrigan, too, is able to allow us to delve further into places we wouldn't normally think we want to go. As with the Fey Realm, the Morrigan, Hikati, and Brigid, they have many things to teach us. And we can find many ways to honor them in our ritual and spell work. It is worth your study to read more about each of these goddesses. And as I've discussed tonight, that's a good way to gain a deeper understanding of yourself and the power that you hold. So tonight I'm not going to go over a TV show or a movie or a book or a celebrity or anything like that. I did briefly discuss the craft, but that was just in terms of invo invocation. I'm not going to bring up any rituals or spells or anything from the past. This was purely about these three goddesses and the workings of nocturnal witchcraft and how it relates to us as witches, solitary, coven, doesn't matter. Just how it relates to us in our workings. It's something to think on. Blessed be my witches. Have a wonderful, wonderful full moon.